0: I actually saw someone said the other day that we're 5% into 2023, so that's that's where we're at. Um, so there's still time to treat this like the new year. And I just wanna encourage you to have a plan uh, for, for being in God's word this year and really growing in the word of God. In fact, we have a an opportunity coming up for you in February, starting on February 19th. Uh, we're gonna have a class on Sunday afternoons And it's going to be, the subject of the class is going to be inductive Bible study, inductive Bible study. And so how to study God's word. Um, And it's going to be taught by our theologian in residence, Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. And I can just tell you that this is going to be a great class. It's not going to be all way over your head. It's going to be really practical and help you really grow in studying the word of God. And so mark your calendar. We'll give you more information about that in the days ahead. So Acts chapter six, um, verses one through seven is where we find ourselves this morning. And the title of the message is Growing Pains. Growing pains. And uh, hopefully that is obvious what that means. We've been studying the church, the early church, in the very beginning in the book of Acts. And that church is growing, and all growth comes with growing pains. You see it in kids who just are, We at our house, we call it, we're antsy. You know, we're just squirmy. We just are experiencing growing pains. It's true in churches. It's true in businesses. It's true in organizations. It's true in relationships. Any kind of growth must come through paying the price of growing pains. It's also a television show from the 80s, and the star was Kirk Cameron, and since he now has become a professing Christian, it is the holiest of sermon titles, (laughs) growing pains. (laughs) Uh, So Acts 6, 1 through 7, but seriously, we have seen in Acts so far how The church wants to preach the word. They want to share the gospel, right? That's what we've seen. And there are enemies of that. We've seen that they were arrested and beaten. And so one enemy of it is the leadership in in Jerusalem. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they they are persecuting the church. That's one enemy of preaching the word. And they overcame that. They were still bold in the face of that. Wow, that's awesome. There are other forces opposing the preaching of the word that we've seen already. Do you know them? One is corruption. Do you remember that couple Ananias and Sapphira who walked up to the front of the church, made a big offering, dropped it in the basket? Like, corruption and deceit. So there are problems just with the character of some of the Christians within the early church that are seeking to just hijack the health and progress of the gospel going forward. So we've seen these two ways, uh, persecution and corruption, and now this morning, distraction. And I think the point really that I want us to see is that Satan is trying everything to stop the progress of Christianity. Christianity. Problems from the outside, problems from the inside. Any kind of problems that can be stirred up, that can be used to hinder the progress of the church of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeing in Acts. And what's so beautiful is we're seeing how they overcome all these problems. In fact, I'll read you this quote from John Stott. The devil's next attack was the cleverest of the three. Having failed to overcome the church by either persecution or corruption, he now tried distraction. If he could preoccupy the apostles with social administration, which, though essential, was not their calling, they would neglect their God-given responsibilities to pray and to preach, and so leave the church without any defense against false doctrine. So you see, the enemy is seeking to disable the, the, the defense systems of the early church against false teaching through distraction. Kevin DeYoung said in a sermon on this passage, and I quote, bad church organization can be used by the devil. <laughs> anyway, so this passage breaks down very clearly. You have the problem in verse 1. You have the solution in verses 2 through 6. And then you have the result in verse 7. And we're going to read the passage now. I just want, before I read it, to give you what I think is really the big idea that we're going to see this morning. That gracious, Bible-focused, gracious, Bible-focused, compassionately serving and unified Christians will always draw new people to Jesus. I think that's what's on Luke's heart. I think he's trying to relay that message to the early church using this story to say, look, this is what can happen. That is the message for us too. Let me show it to you. Let me read to you Acts 6, 1-7. Look at your Bible, um, ideally, or the screen. Also, Acts 6. 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, it's growing pains, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God, we thank you this morning for your word. We bow before you. We pray uh, that you would just really illuminate these verses to our minds and deep into our hearts this morning. Lord, we pray that as the seed of your word is sown, that it would find in each one of our souls good soil each husband here, each dad, each wife, each mother, each man, each woman, each student. Lord, that we would be people who are not hearers, just hearers of teaching and of the Bible, but doers. People who want to grow. People who want to be more glorifying of you with our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing pains. Again, the big idea. Gracious, Bible-focused, compassionately serving, and unified Christians will always draw new people to Jesus. The first point being gracious. Look at verse 1. And again, I told you, here we see the problem. So verse 1 says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, so the first thing I want us to see in verse one is that the Jerusalem church was dropping the ball. That's the point. Widows are being neglected. That's a problem. That's a problem no matter what the cause of the problem is. The Jerusalem church was dropping the ball. The, whoever came to them, I guess it says the Hellenists came to the 12 apostles and filed the complaint. Whoever came to them, they had a legitimate complaint. They had like verses from the Bible for their complaint. God cares deeply for the widow. The vulnerable. The alien, the refugee, the orphan, the widow. This is a huge theme in the Bible. And so if this was happening, and we have to assume it really was happening because Luke says it was happening and this is the Bible, like this was a problem. Exodus 22, this is in the law. This is like right after the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. It says, you shall not mistreat. Any widow or fatherless child, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. This is God. Here's the thing. The widow, the orphan, the alien, and one other group, which we'll come to at the end today. This this kind of this group in the Old Testament that God says to his people, you have to care for these people. So the Hellenists, now, what is that? Actually, I'm going to read to you one more verse about the widows. Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so the fact that they had a system for giving widows food um, is very biblical, very Old Testament. It's very to be expected in the Jerusalem church. The fact that they weren't doing it well, they were dropping the ball, they were mistreating some widows, that's where the problem lied. Now we see in verse 1 that there's this group called the Hellenists who said, hey, our widows are being Neglected. Now, what's that about? Well, you've maybe heard the word Hellenistic before that has to do with being Greek. And so what's going on here is there are two groups of people. Both of these groups of people are Jewish. They live in Jerusalem. Okay. One we'll call the Hellenist group. They are more Hellenistic, meaning they spoke the language of the whole world, the language of that day, which was common Greek. They spoke Greek. So your translation might say the Greek-speaking Jews versus the Hebrew Jews or something, but it's the Hellenists and the Hebrews. So Jewish, both Jewish by religion and officially, but one was raised sort of speaking Greek. Maybe their parents were born in Rome and they moved back to Jerusalem to retire, and their kids and grandkids are there, but they speak Greek. Hebrew or Aramaic as a second language, right? Greek is their main language. Not just that they speak Greek, but they also just culturally, they kind of think that way. Does that make sense? And then there are the Hebrew Jews who are very Hebrew. Both Jews, again, but sort of a subdivision within Jews. The Hellenists and the Hebrews. I'll give you an example. When uh, our church took a trip to China, For, um, to do some outreach, I I went there and we took a group there, and I went with my wife. And my wife does not speak Chinese, okay? Some of you are like, What? Okay, yep. Was born in Chicago and is third generation Chinese American. And so, but we went to China, and I got to see firsthand the look of disappointment on the face of so many chinese people when they realize that my wife is not chinese chinese she's just chinese you know what i mean like it's like it's this sort of okay you're 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 with us but you're not really like so we're going to create a little 2.0 and 1.0 situation and and that is always happening everywhere in every sort of group of people and so Here we have the Jews, we have the Hebrew Jews. And you know, in Philippians three, Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what he's saying there is he's saying like, I'm not a Hellenist. And he spoke Greek. He wrote all his letters in Greek. So he spoke Greek. So it's not just about speaking Greek. It's about how you think it's just who you are culturally. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, I am elite when it comes to those kinds of things, which to Paul don't even matter anymore now that he knows Jesus. But the point is is that there there are these two different groups of people in the Jerusalem church. Now, as far as we know, all of these people are now believers in Christ, so they are Christians. But they still bring to the church their cultural background, and they also bring to the church their cultural differences. John Stott is helpful again here. There had always, of course, been rivalry, Between these groups in Jewish culture. The tragedy is that it was perpetuated within the new community of Jesus, who by his death had abolished such distinctions. Now, again, my point, this point here that we're on, is point one is gracious. And the reason I think that's a fitting point is because here's the truth, everyone. Churches will always have problems because people have problems. We always need grace. And so we are to understand this. Luke is pointing this out to any Christian reading Acts at any time in church history. Just look at the Jerusalem church. They had problems. They weren't perfect. We all need grace. Gracious Churches draw new people to Jesus. The point is gracious. Problems that were brought into the church here, if we just look at their situation in Jerusalem, what's one of the problems? Well, one of them is just the problem of widows in general. Someone died to make a widow. (laughs) That's a problem. That's a problem stemming all the way back to the Garden of Eden where the wages of sin is death. That's a problem that's brought into the church. The church didn't cause widowhood, but they're not responding to it very well, and that's a problem. What are the problems that people bring into the church? Disorganization is brought into the church, and it's a problem that's popping its head up here. Unintentional prejudice. We are not led to believe by this text that there was intentional mistreatment happening. In fact, this text leads us to believe, if we just read it on the face of it, the real problem was growth, hence the title Growing Pains. Luke points out in verse 1 and verse 7 that the church was just growing so much. So maybe it was unintentional prejudice. Maybe it was just an issue that there were so many more Jewish Hebrews, they were in Jerusalem, our Jewish widows, Hebrew widows, than Hellenistic widows. Problems brought into the church, disorganization, unintentional prejudice, maybe perhaps some intentional prejudice. Another problem, complaining. I say that. I mean, it was right for them to complain. Someone had to bring this up and bring the Bible verses to the apostles and say, hey, we're dropping the ball. That's okay. But Luke intentionally uses the same term that's used of the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness in the Old Testament. And I think he's intentionally doing that just to show. Man, there's problems. There's leadership problems, there's grumbling problems, there's organizational problems, there's growing pains. It's not perfect. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it because you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Jesus said he came to call the sick, not the righteous. Jesus is purifying the bride of Christ because it's not perfect. So the question is not whether the church has problems. It does. And we all can attest. The question is, will we show grace? The question is, what will we do about these problems? Which is what we're about to see in this passage, that the Jerusalem church addressed their problems. Second point, Bible-focused. Gracious, Bible-focused, compassionately serving, and unified Christians will always draw new people to Jesus. Bible-focused, verse 2 and 4. It says in verse 2, and so this, this problem comes to the 12 apostles, and so the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Okay? And then they said something else in verse three, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But in verse four, they sort of concluded their thought and they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the first thing I want to show you here is is that the word serve tables is the word deacon in the Greek, All right, And the word the, the, the term, the word in verse 4 for ministry of the word is also the word deacon. And I say that only to just point out that the serving of the tables and the ministry of the word are, in the original language, both viewed as ministry. Okay? That's very important to emphasize. It's not, there is no superior and inferior. The apostle's reaction is not, oh, we're above that. No, 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 that's not it. If you've read this passage that way in the past, repair that today. It is not an issue of superior and inferior, both valid and very strategic priorities in ministry, both called ministry. In fact, when we think and when we talk about things in such a way, when we say, oh, are you called to ministry? And someone's like, yeah. And what we mean by that is like, oh, you're going to go to seminary and you're going to be a pastor. Like, it's actually kind of unhelpful when we talk that way. It's inaccurate when we talk that way. Because every believer is called to ministry. Every believer is called to do ministry. And I think what we really mean when we say that, and we're not going to start like policing the way we talk in the lobby at church or anything. I think what we mean is you're called to be like in vocational ministry of the word but everyone's called to ministry of something. So that's like a soapbox thing. But Bible focused is the point here because the apostles understood that their calling was to teach God's word. And, and, and that may be your calling. Maybe you're gifting. But the apostles knew it was their calling. Jesus himself told them, you will be my witnesses. And so they said, and this is what they said, they said it is not right. It's not right if we neglect preaching the word to do anything else. And again, it's not a point about about that that other thing is inferior or like not important at all. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is that it would be not right. It would not please the Lord for them to neglect their top priority, their absolute calling from Jesus. The word here, literally not right, is the word not pleasing. The same word used for pleasing God in 1 John 3. You could almost read this as if they're saying, listen, it would be sin for us to neglect our calling To do another very important calling. It would not please the Lord. And you could look at this as and apply this in lots of ways in in our lives. We talk a lot about, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing and, and staying focused on what God has called you to. And this is very applicable to all of that, right? Despite threats from within and from without. And from distractions, we must consciously choose to focus on knowing and sharing the Word of God. That would be a really good application from this point. Despite threats, from without and within, we must consciously choose to focus on knowing and sharing the Word of God. Listen, this passage is going to give us more than one priority. That's not the only priority for Christians in life but it is top priority. And that's what the apostles understood. In fact, there's a story in the Gospels where Jesus is at Simon's mother-in-law's house in Capernaum, and he is healing like everybody. And he's tired, and he goes to bed. He wakes up early the next morning, it says. This is in Mark's Gospel, chapter one. He wakes up early the next morning. He goes off to a private place to pray. And Peter and some disciples, they come and find him, and they literally say, Jesus, where are you? Everyone's looking for you. There's like a line of people to, to get healed by Jesus. And he says this in such a treasure of a verse in Mark 138. He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Can you imagine? But Jesus, there's like like a line around the block of people with infirmaries that want you to heal them. Where are you? You're popular. Come back. And he's like, let's go to the next town. I came to preach the word. I came to share the good news that the Messiah has come. I, I came to resolve eternal misery, not just temporal misery. It's amazing. His focus on the Word. And we are to be Bible-focused. So again, gracious, Bible-focused, compassionately serving, unified. Christians will always draw new people to Jesus. Let's look at the third one. Compassionately serving. This is verse 3. So the 12, they're responding to the complaint, and they say, it's not right for us to begin doing that, which is what was surely being implied, that they needed to sort of devote their attention to solving this problem. And the, the apostle said, look, we agree that that's a priority. And we agree we should not be dropping the ball and caring for widows, like for sure. But it also would not please the Lord for us to neglect our mandate from Jesus that we teach the word and pray. So, verse three, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So, why seven men? It's not because women cannot serve. This problem probably would not have happened if the women were leading this situation. It's not because women cannot serve. They do in the Bible before and after this. In fact, when Dorcas dies and she's raised to new life later in Acts, it says there's all these widows around here that are showing Peter, look at the clothes that she made for us. This woman cared for these widows. And so it's not because women don't care for widows and aren't called to. I believe women are just as gifted in every way as men. And in the local church, I believe women can and should serve as deacons if you are one who thinks this is a passage about deacons. I I, I believe that. Not as elders, but as deacons. This is not, I don't think, an official deacon board. We'll call it the proto-deacons. But here, for reasons that we don't know because Luke doesn't tell us, it was uniquely important that godly men step up as key servants here to solve this problem in the Jerusalem church. At the very least, we should see, men we should see, men are called to serve in these ways the very least, we should take that away from this. Compassionate serving of the vulnerable. They give these qualifications, a good reputation, people who are perceived by the church then at that time as trustworthy because they're going to be handling the church's funds and distributing it to the vulnerable. They've got to be trustworthy. People who are full of the Spirit You know what that means, right? People who are, they have the Holy Spirit because they've become a Christian and they're full of the Holy Spirit, meaning they are they are filled up, they are controlled by God. God has a hold on their life. And so it's interesting because Peter tells them, or the apostles tell them, go to all the Christians. Like he wouldn't say go to the whole city, of course, like, hello. Like he says, go to all the Christians. He says to the brothers from among you, right? So the pool is a Christian pool. And then he says, from that pool, pick people who are filled with the Spirit. Hmm. So it's possible to be in the pool, to be a Christian, but to not, and to have the Holy Spirit, but to not be really full of the Holy Spirit. It is possible. Peter's like, we're not interested in having as The next big seven leaders in the church, Christians who just have the Spirit, but are not really full of the Spirit and yielding to the Holy Spirit's leadership in their life. So people who are full of the Spirit, people who are full of wisdom, meaning they're able to make wise decisions on behalf of the 12 apostles and for the good of the Jerusalem church. And so compassionate serving is the point here. The apostles did not say, this is the key point, the apostles did not say in response to this, hey, I hear you, That that's, that's a problem. Heart goes out to you. Empathy, mm. feel you, And but that's not our calling, so hope you work it out. No, no. They, they realized they have to do something. They're not called maybe to be the ones practically doing it, but they have to lead the way and make a plan. It's not sufficient. When, when, when someone comes to us and says, hey, this isn't getting done, and that thing is actually a priority to the Lord, it's not sufficient for us to just be like, oh yeah, but it's not it's not in my on my job description. It's not my role, so I'm not going to do anything. That's not sufficient. We have to care about that. We can't just say because something's not top priority that it's not any priority. That doesn't work that way. Caring for widows is a really high priority, even if it's not quite as high as the sharing of the Word of God, which it's not. So Jesus does this cool thing in Luke 7. I want to show you. So afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. I'm sharing this story with you because I want you to see Jesus' heart for the widow. And you may not have even seen that in this passage before because you might have just thought about what Jesus does for the man, but I want you to see it in the view of Jesus caring for widows. Again, verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Who did he have compassion on? The dead guy? I mean, probably, but that's not what the text says. Who was he feeling bad for? The widow. He says, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear. I don't know what that is. Just going to read it fast and confident. And the bearers stood still. Okay, now I know. See, you just got to keep going. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus, it's almost, this is how I read it. Jesus is almost like, stop talking. You've been raised for one reason. Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And the report about him spread through the whole of Judea, and all the surrounding country. And James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter in the church later puts it this way, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Luke uses a word in verse 3 at the very end, the last word, and it's the word duty. And I think that's the point. It is our duty as Christians to organize and rally to compassionately serve the most vulnerable among us. Next point, unified. Gracious, Bible-focused, compassionately serving, and unified Christians will always draw new people to the Lord. Unified. Verse 5, And what they said, pleased The whole gathering. Not just some of the people in the gathering, but everyone in the gathering was happy, had a smile on their face. Even the people that were complaining earlier, they're all happy now. They're unified. And they chose, watch this, every person has a name that is not Hebrew. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip, and they chose now, I've said this before, just, this is always good encouragement. When you don't know how to pronounce words in the Bible, read fast and confident. It's all that matters because the people listening, they also don't know how to pronounce it. So, Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenus, and then Nicholas, who was, look at this, a proselyte of Antioch. Do you know what that means? That means that Nicholas was not born Jewish. He later in life made a decision to become Jewish and then became a Christian. A lot of change in his life. But the point is this. This is a group of people who were not the Hebrew of Hebrews. This is not the people who might have unintentionally neglected the Hellenistic widows. The apostles didn't pick this group of people. The congregation picked them and set them before the apostles, and the apostles then affirmed them and commissioned them to do this work. Now, it's interesting. It was not a requirement that these first seven leaders be Greek-speaking. It was not listed in the requirements, was it? It was not. What was listed? Do you remember? Good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. But just because it wasn't required doesn't mean that that the church didn't understand the problem that they had and understand what it would take to actually address the real practical problem. While not a requirement, cultural diversity will be pursued by thoughtful Christians seeking to solve practical and unity problems in the church. That's a great spot for an amen. Picture this. The 12 apostles. These very Jewish Hebrew apostles, it says they laid hands. They got set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Pick, just, just, just picture it like two scenes in a movie. The first scene is is the Hellenists come to the apostles and they're angry. They're like, you don't understand. Like our widows are being neglected, and and there's this division and you can feel it. And now the picture is the 12 apostles laying hands on the seven new leaders, these deacons, these servants, who all have Greek names and who one of them was not even born Jewish, and they're praying and they're commissioning and they're sending them to fix this problem. And everyone, it says, is pleased. It's a powerful moment in the church. Again, there are no perfect churches. It's not a question of will there be problems in the church. It's a question of will there be grace and will the church do something to address it? And what we see here and what Luke wants us to see here is that the early church was addressing their problem. They weren't letting Satan bring them down with distractions to get off mission and off their top priority or distractions of division. Gracious Bible focused compassionately serving And unified Christians will always draw new people to Jesus. You say, Matt, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying that? It's because of verse 7. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Gracious, Bible-focused, compassionately serving, unified Christians will always draw new people to Jesus. You think Luke puts verse 7 here by mistake right after they solved this problem and they worked this out? Of course not. No, the Word of God did not get distracted and then shut down as the enemy, as Satan wanted to happen. No, they worked through the problem, and the word of God greatly increased. And Luke's like showing off here. He's like, oh, yeah, and there was more growth. But I've said that in some previous verses. But let me now add something. Many priests were becoming obedient to the faith. You say, what is that about? I was really wrestling with that this week. I just was like, you know, maybe there's something there. It's the first time that's been said. Hmm. Remember I told you earlier? Aliens, orphans, and widows. Always together in the Old Testament. Got to care for them. I said there's a fourth group and we'll come to it later. Do you know who that is? It's the Levites. It's the Levites. Deuteronomy 14.29. Let me show you. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien the orphan and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So the priests, they had, number one, they benefited from the distribution of of food being well-organized because they didn't have an inheritance. But number two, they were primarily in charge in the Jerusalem temple of distributing the food to the vulnerable. So they noticed, hmm, the church, this new group, the church, they care about widows. They're willing to fix a problem to do it better. They care. They care about what we care about. They're fired up about helping the most vulnerable, which is what we're here to do. Even though we're not Christians, we're here to do that too. That moves our heart, and that seems to move their heart. And so so we're drawn to what they believe. In the early days of our church when we were just planting, We put our focus on a middle school in Southeast Raleigh because of the percentage of single-parent homes in that neighborhood. And we uh, encountered a teacher at that school who had chosen to teach at that school because this teacher had a huge heart for the vulnerable, had a huge heart for those from broken homes and rough neighborhoods, not a Christian, but had a huge heart for the vulnerable. She became a friend to our church plant, the few of us in those early days, and she noticed that we had a big heart for the same people. And She saw what we were willing to do as we served the city. And She became a follower of Christ and was one of the first people baptized at Fellowship Raleigh. Many priests became obedient to the faith. Luke's saying, as they became a Bible-focused, compassionately serving, unified church, the gospel began to break into new ground and new demographics. Why are Christians so great at serving? Why have Christians always really been so great at serving? It's because we serve and we worship a servant Savior. Jesus is the ultimate deacon. We're inspired to serve by Jesus. But perhaps even more powerful is the reality, listen, brothers and sisters, that we are freed to serve because Jesus has served us. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he inspires us to serve, but he frees our selfish and needy hearts to serve because he has, by his cross, so profoundly served us first. The deeper the reality of our servant Savior dying for us on the cross gets into our hearts the more inspired and the more able we will be to serve those around us in Jesus' name. That's our prayer today. Let me pray.